This is taken from the, uh, a series of 16 sermons uh, by Christopher Love. And uh, the title says, uh, 16 sermons wherein is plainly shown true grace with its different decrees, degrees and uh, several important cases of conscience answered in the course of the work. There is a preface to this written by several of the Westminster divines and I thought it was profitable to, to read the preface. <clears throat> Beloved friends, the welfare of mankind is an object which we uh, wish most ardently to see promoted. This has induced us to patronize the following useful discourses of the worthy and eminently pious Mr. Love. These discourses merit the serious attention of all who bear the Christian name, especially of those who wish to know how matters stand between God and their souls, for they are treated judiciously and with great plainness. They are calculated to inform, to encourage, and instruct those who have the smallest as well as those who have the greatest degrees of grace. They are also calculated for the conviction of those who profess the Christian religion but are destitute of real godliness. And as there are many of this latter description in the world, many more perhaps than are aware of it, owing to the deceitfulness and desperate wickedness of the human heart, permit us to caution all who read the following sermons to read them with desire to know their real state. Permit us to direct you to inquire first whether you are in the faith or not, and the rather also there are many who have some good things in them, some religious exercises of mind, and yet are not truly gracious. You recollect of having read of Pharaoh confessing his sin, Ahab fasting, Saul weeping, Jehu reforming, Judas repenting and restoring, Simon Magus believing, Herod rejoicing, and Felix trembling at the word, and yet not one of these had one dram of true grace. How careful should we then be to examine and prove ourselves whether we are in the state of, group of true grace? Oh, it is very sad to fall short of them that fall short of heaven. As for the most part of professors of our times, it is much to be feared that their spiritual trading lies more for increase of gifts and parts in which their religion consists than for grace, which is the true reason why we have so little truth and peace amongst us. For parts puff up the mind, pride begets contention, and contention increaseth error. Former times had less gifts but more grace, less knowledge and more conscience. Second, if thou art one of those that upon good scripture grounds canst say that thou hast the truth of grace, labor then after growth in grace. O labor, whilst others are joining house to house and laying field to field until they be placed alone in the midst of the earth. That you give all diligence to add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and to your knowledge temperance and to your temperance patience and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, 
and to brotherly kindness charity, that these graces may be in you and abound, that you may be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. No Christian should content himself with any measures of grace attained, for he is like to make use of all the grace he hath, had he a Benjamin's portion. The time is coming when one dram of true grace will be of more worth than all the world. The comforts of grace, the joy and peace in believing, will be cordials to you when you are dying, and will set up such a light in the soul which the shadow of death shall neither damp or darken. But alas, most men are laboring more after wealth than faith, more after greatness in the world than true grace, of whom when they die it may be said that they had laid up goods for many years. But it cannot be said in them was found some good thing towards the Lord. Men do usually lay up riches for the for a dear year. They'll say, we know not what need as they may have before they come to die. Be then as wise and provident for your precious souls. Your temptations and trials may be such that you may have use for all your faith and patience. Eat, said the angel to Elijah, for the journey is long. It is no short way to heaven. Nor is the opposition small that thou shalt meet with in thy passage thither. O then, get thy soul well stored with spiritual provision of grace and the comforts of it. It is true, thy safety is in the being but thy comfort stands in the strength and activity of thy graces. Weak grace is saving, but strong grace is comfortable. Truth of grace shall be rewarded with heaven. Growth of grace doth, as it were, antedate heaven. The least true grace will bring thee to heaven, but the more grace thou hast, the fitter for and surer thou wilt be of heaven. The Lord make these and all the labors of his servants profitable to his church. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.17 And to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Reader, we remain ready to serve in thy soul's affairs. Edmund Callamy, Jeremiah Whitaker, Simeon Ash, William Taylor, London, February 13, 1651. The first sermon in this series is, uh, takes as the text, 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 13. Because in him there is found some good thing towards the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. This chapter contains in it Ahijah's prophecy foretelling what dismal judgments should befall Jeroboam and his posterity for his idolatry and worship and defection from the government and house of David, for which sins God did destroy him and his posterity, 1 Kings 15.29. And not only the bad but the good were punished for their father's guilt, for so it is intimated in this verse out of which the text is taken. Here was a young man, Jeroboam's son, that should die 
for the father's fault. And yet here was a mitigation of the punishment that he should not die after the same manner that the rest did. He shall go to his grave in peace because in him there is found some good. Behold the goodness of God. A little child and a little good in him. And yet the great God takes notice of the little good in him. God found, as it were, one pearl in a heap of pebbles, one good young man in Jeroboam's household, that he had some good thing in him towards the Lord God of Israel. In the whole verse, three parts. First, a lamentation for the death of his son, death of this son of Jeroboam. It is said, all Israel shall mourn for him. And so they did. Verse 18 which argued that there was goodness in him. For if he had not been desired and prized while he lived, he would not have been so lamented at his death. Second, a limitation of his punishment. He only of Jeroboam's family shall come to the grave. The rest of his posterity that died in the city, dogs should eat. And him that dieth in the field should the fowls of the air devour. Verse 11. Third, the commendation of his life. In him was found some good thing. Of this I am now to treat. He is commended by the Holy Ghost for his goodness is set forth. First, by the quality of his goodness. It was a good thing, not a good word only, or a good purpose or inclination with which too many content themselves, but it was a good action. Second, by the quantity of it. It was but some little good thing that was found in him, and yet that little good God did not despise or overlook. Third, by the sincerity of his goodness. There were two notable demonstrations of this young man's goodness. It was towards the Lord God of Israel, and it was in Jeroboam's house. His goodness was towards the Lord God of Israel. This argued Paul's sincerity that in his speaking, writing, and actions he could, could and did appeal to God. That religion, saith the apostle, is pure and undefiled, that is so, before, the God, before God and the Father. Many hypocrites may be good towards men who are not so towards God. To be rich indeed is to be rich towards God. True repentance is repentance towards God. And he is unblameable indeed that is void of offense towards God as well as towards men. He was also good in the house of Jeroboam. A wicked man may seem good in a good place, but to be good in a bad place argues men to be good indeed. To be good in David's house, this was not so much. But for this young man, to be good... In the house of Jeroboam his father, whom the scripture brands for his idolatry, that he made all Israel to sin, and yet could not make his son to sin. This argued that he was sincerely good, as it did argue Lot's sincerity, to be righteous in Sodom, for Job to be good in Chaldea, and to be saints in Nero's palace. And to fear God in Jeroboam's family. This is goodness indeed. There is only one difficulty in the text. That is, what was that good thing that was found in Abijah? For to answer this, it is true, the scripture doth not particularly express what that good thing was. 
which was found in him. But Tostatus and Peter Martyr affirm from the Hebrew rabbins that when the Jews of the ten tribes did on their appointed times repair to Jerusalem to worship according to the command of God, and Jeroboam commanded soldiers to intercept them, this Abijah did hinder the soldiers to kill them and gave them passes to go to Jerusalem to worship God and encouraged them therein, notwithstanding the rage of his father who had forsaken the true worship of God and set up calves at Dan and Bethel. Others think the goodness of this young prince was in this, that he would not consent to his father in taking away the government from the house of David. But where the scripture hath not a tongue to speak, we have not an ear to hear, and therefore we shall not undertake to determine what the scripture hath not determined. There are many collateral observations which I shall deduce from the several circumstances in the text and uh, but name some of them from the consideration that this good Abijah died first good men and useful and hopeful instruments may be taken away by death when wicked men may live long upon the earth bad Jeroboam lived long his good son died soon so true is that of Solomon. A, right, a righteous man may perish in his righteousness when wicked may prolong his days in wickedness. Briars and thorns and thistles wither not so soon as lilies and roses. They may be taken out of the world of whom the world is not worthy and they may remain behind who are not worthy to live in the world. Second, from the consideration of the death of godly Abijah, when wicked Nahab, the other son of Jeroboam, lived, observe that good children may be taken away by death from their parents, when ungodly children may live to be a shame and a curse to their parents. Three, from the consideration of the cause, why this gracious young man died so soon, it was for his father's sins, as we may gather from verse 9, 10, 11, and 12 that good children as well as bad may be outwardly punished for the sins of their parents. For, from all Israel's lamenting the death of this hopeful young man, observe that good men who have been and might be farther useful in their lives should be much lamented at their death. They that have lived, desired, should die lamented. Isaiah 57. From these words, he shall go to his grave in peace. It is a great blessing to go to one's grave in peace in times of war and common calamity. Sixth, he was good towards God. He is good indeed who is so to God as well as unto men. Many are good in man's sight that are not so in the sight of God. There are two other circumstances upon which I shall a little enlarge myself before I come to the main point I intend to handle. From the age of this son of Jeroboam who is here commended for his goodness, it is said he was a child. Verse 12, whence it may be observed, it is very commendable to see goodness in young people. To see young men good is a very commendable thing. There were many good men in that time, but to be good so soon as Abijah was when he was a child. The scripture records this to his praise. 
I shall show you that it is a commendable thing to see young men, good men. This I prove first because the scripture makes very honorable mention of young men. When good men, as first of, as first of Obadiah, that he feared the Lord from his youth. And it is recorded to the honor of Timothy that he knew the Holy Scriptures from a child. Jerome conceives that John was the most beloved disciple because he was the youngest of all. God remembers the kindness of our youth. Jeremiah 2.2 God takes more kindly the kindness of our youth than of our age. It was a matter of joy unto John that that he found children walking in the truth. 2 John 4 Secondly, because God commends moral and common goodness in the young man in the gospel. Christ is said to love him for his moral goodness and natural ingenuity. The reason why it is so commendable in a young man to be a good man is this, because their temptations are more and their affections are stronger to carry them from God. Youth hath a stronger aptitude and proclivity to sin than any other age. Their blood is sooner stirred up to choler and their strength to lust. As every relation hath its special sin, so every age of a man's life. Old age is peevish and covetous, middle age proud, malicious, and revengeful. Young men are usually rash, lustful, and voluptuous. Therefore Paul bids Timothy to fly all youthful lusts. Therefore, seeing youth is exposed to so many temptations and subject to so many corruptions, it is rare to see young men good. Oh, then be exhorted, you that are young, to become religious betimes, and to quicken you hereunto, consider. If you be not good in your youth, you can never use the psalmist's arguments. Cast me not off, O Lord, in the time of my old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. Psalm 71.9 And this argument he had before, verse 5, For thou art my hope and hast been my trust from my youth. And who would be without such an argument on his deathbed? Second, consider there are recorded in Scripture many young men that were good all of all sorts and conditions and of all callings. And the Holy Ghost doth not only set down their goodness, but their age in which they were good. Solomon, a young king. Obadiah, a young courtier. Daniel, a young prophet. John, a young apostle. Timothy, a young preacher. And here Abijah, a young prince. And all these were good men and are recorded for our example and encouragement. Third, consider that God in the dispensations of his grace bestows it upon young men and passeth by the elder. Thus Abel, the younger, was righteous and Cain wicked. Jacob, the younger, brother loved and Esau hated. Thus David, the youngest of Jesse's sons and yet the best of them and the chosen of the Lord. God doth in many times do as Jacob did when he blessed the children of Joseph, stretched out his right hand and laid it upon the head of Ephraim the younger. So doth God in the dispensation of his grace many times pitch on the youngest. God saith as Joseph of all the rest, Bring me Benjamin, and gives him a double portion. For 
in the time of our youth is the freest age of, of your life to betake yourselves to the exercise of religion and duties of godliness. Young men that are servants have more freedom and less cares than when they grow in years and, and the cares and encumbrances of a family fill their hands and clog their hearts. Five, consider if thou art not gracious in youth, the sins of thy youth may trouble thy conscience in thy, in thy old age. Many young men who are active and venturous in the heat of their youth get those bodily bruises and blows that they feel the ache of to their dying day. Thou that givest a blow or a bruise to thy conscience in thy youth mayest feel this in thy old age. Those sins which now thou, thou feelest not may be a trouble to thy conscience and an aching in, to thy heart when thou liest on thy deathbed. And though God do not remember the sins of, our, of your youth to damn your souls, yet he may make you remember them so as to be a trouble to your consciences. These things which are the joys of youth may be the bitter burdens of old age. Take heed of laying a load on thy conscience when thou art young, lest God write bitter things against thee when old and make thee to possess the sins of thy youth and fill thy bones with, with the sins of thy youth. Job chapter 13 and 20. A second use of reproof of two sorts of people. First, of those who instead of being good when young are wicked when they are young, such as fill their youth with manifold evils. Usually youth is subject to these evils. First, pride is the sin of youth. A preacher must not be a young novice lest he be lifted up with pride. Second, rashness and indiscretion is usually the sin of a young head. Exhort young men, saith Paul to Titus, to be sober-minded, to be discreet or wise. How rash and heady was the counsel of the young men to Rehoboam, which made him lose his kingdom. Years teach experience. Three, lustfulness, which was the ground of Paul's caution to young Timothy. If Timothy, who was so abstemious a man that Paul gave him advice to drink some wine with his water, had need of this caution, how much more have they that are not so exercised in duties of mortification? which gave Solomon ground to give that counsel, put away the evils of thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. He was a young man that followed the harlot to her house. For fickleness and unsettledness of judgment. Therefore, in times of error, the younger sort are most subject to be seduced. Children are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4.14 intimating that they are unsettled and unstayed in their judgments and resolutions. How soon was the mind of that rich and forward young man changed, mentioned in the Gospel, Matthew 19. Five, to scoff and condemn the aged. They were children who did mock the aged prophet. The young men derided Job. Six, sensual pleasures and pastimes. They do rejoice and cheer their hearts in the days of their youth. Samson made a feast, for so used the young men to do. Judges 14. Secondly, reproof lights heavily on those who seem to be good in their youth, 
but in their old age cast off goodness. How many are like uh, Joash, who seemed to be a good young man whilst he seemed to be under the tuition of Jehoiada? But when he was dead, how did, how did he break out? How many are there in the world who have lost their affection and desires after God, which they had in their youth? It was a brand set upon Solomon, who, though when, he, when young, was well taught by his mother, yet when he grew old, his wives turned away his heart from God. So David had his first days, which were better than his last. Even so amongst us, we have too many, who when they were young did love religion and delight in ordinances, and when they became old have abated exceedingly, which may make them to fear the sincerity of their goodness. For he that is truly good in youth will be so in his old age. The second remarkable circumstance is this, that this young Abijah was good in the house of Jeroboam, whence observed that it is a great commendation for men to retain their goodness whilst they live in bad places and families. That this is so, we may see by that commendable mention in, uh, mention the scriptures make of such as were good in evil places. Thus God commends the church of Pergamos, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in these those days where in Antipas my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. <clears throat> Revelation 2.13 Pergamos was the city more given to idolatry than all the cities of Asia, and yet there were some that held fast the name of Christ and did not deny his faith. Philippians 4.22 To be a saint in Nero's family is very commendable, and the reason thereof is, first, because many of God's children have failed and abated much in of their goodness in bad places. How did Peter fall in the high priest's hall? Though when in good company he was zealous, yet there he denied Christ. So Abraham, when he was in Gerar, and Isaac also, denied their wives. So Joseph in Pharaoh's court had learned the court oath to swear by the life of Pharaoh. Hence God commands the children of Israel not to mix themselves with the heathens lest they learn their manners and customs. Bad places are like bad air for zeal to breathe in. As sheep amongst briars lose part of their fleece, so good men in bad company lose part of their goodness. As one scabbed sheep may infect a whole flock, so one root of bitterness may spring up and defile many. Hebrews 12:15. <clears throat> Second, because it, uh, it is a clear evidence of the sincerity of a man's goodness to be good in a bad place. This shows thy grace to be grace indeed. And thou hast discouragements to be good, and then art holy. This is a demonstration that thou art sincerely good, and that thy goodness is not counterfeit and taken up upon any sinister and hypocritical end. It is good to be good with the good, but it is most excellent to be good amongst the bad and to be best amongst the worst. <clears throat> the first use from hence learn the power and unloosableness of saving grace. 
Grace makes a man good in the worst times. Let a man be cast into prison or bad company, which is the worst temptation, yet he shall not lose his grace. True grace is compared to oil. Now cast oil into a vessel of water, and the oil will not mix with the water, but will lie on the top. Grace will swim upon the water of temptation, as all the water in the sea, as all the water in the salt sea cannot make the fish salty. So all the wicked in the world cannot change the nature of grace. A good man, like the the fish, retains his goodness in bad places. Thus Joseph retained his goodness in the court of wicked Pharaoh. Nehemiah in the court of Artaxerxes. Obadiah in Ahab's court. Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's. The saints in Nero's household. And Abijah in wicked and idolatrous Jeroboam's house. Though it be commendable thing to be good in bad places, yet you ought to bewail your living in bad places. It is your misery, though not your sin. Thus did Isaiah, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah 6 So David, Woe is me, that I dwell in Meshech, and have my habitation in the tents of Kedar that is, with the sinful, idolatrous, and barbarous people, the posterity of Ishmael. Psalm 120, 55. <clears throat> Thus Lot's righteous soul was vexed from day to day while he dwelt in Sodom and saw their unclean conversations. Genesis 25:13. Hence we may gather that it is our duty, the more bad the place or family, is where God hath cast your dwelling, the better and more blameless you should labor to be. You will by this adorn your profession, stop the mouths of adversaries, allure and win others to embrace Christianity. We must be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, amongst whom ye shine as lights in the world. Philippians 2.15 Stars shine brightest in in a dark night, and fire burneth hottest in a cold and frosty day. So should thy star of profession shine brightest in the darkest places where thou livest, and the fire of thy zeal burn hottest in cold times when the love of many waxes cold. Then certainly it is a vain plea for men to excuse their wickedness because they live in bad places. This was Abraham's fault, to excuse his lie by being at Gerar. Seneca blames men for laying the fault of their badness on the place where they live. says, I am not ambitious by nature, say they, but no man that lives at Rome can be otherwise. I am not given to costly and rich apparel, but I must do, I must do so when I am at Rome. It is the badness of thy heart and not the place that makes thee bad. No place, though never so good, can exempt a man from sin. The angels sinned in heaven, Adam in paradise, Judas in Christ's family, and no place, though never so bad, can excuse a man from sin. 
If it be so commendable to be good in bad places, then it is abominable to be bad in good places, to be a dirty swine in a fair meadow. Oh, how many are bad in good families, who despise good counsels and hate the duties of religion in religious families. If it was bad for Peter to be evil amongst the high priest's servants, how abominable was it for Judas to be a traitor among the apostles and in the family of Christ himself? Delight not to be in bad places and company. To delight in such argues that thou art bad thyself. We are to hate the garment spotted with the flesh, Jude 23. Some expound this to avoid the occasions of sin. But Master Perkins gives this sense, to hate bad company. And he saith it alludes to the ceremonial law that if a man had a leprous garment or a garment any otherwise made unclean, his company was to be avoided. God therefore gave that command not to plow with an ox and an ass together. Deuteronomy 22. The ass was an unclean creature and the ox was one of the clean beasts and they must not be in the same yoke. To note, say divines, that God's people and profane persons must not be yoked together. Though they may occasionally meet together, they, yet they must not be yoked together. A man may trade with the wickedest man alive. Commerce is not forbidden. But our joining with wicked men in, in a needless familiarity Keep company with the godly and delight yourselves with such as are good. It is lawful to be in bad company when a just occasion calls, but it is profitable to be in good company. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but he that is a companion of fools shall be destroyed. As a man that comes in a shop of of perfumes will carry away the scent with him, so a man by conversing with the godly shall carry away some good with him. Labor to choose those for thy companions from whom thou mayest get some good. But if God should cast thee into a house like the family of Jeroboam, imitate good Abijah, of whom it is said that in him was found some good thing towards the Lord God of Israel, even in the house of Jeroboam. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T 
T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.